If y'all could hear the way that Kenny just tried to open this fucking show. Listen, you shut the fuck up. We on about take 47 now, but he he fucking, he opened it. It's appropriate that he opened it this way, but it was kind of like an awkward phone call with like an estranged father. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it was. How's it, how's it, how's it going? Hey. Just, how? a, just a real gentle like. Hey, and then I tried one of those, uh, hey, y'alls. Hey, how's it going? And it was even more insecure, actually. Um, and then at one point, we started talking about the uh, the ice caps melting. And true. It's Instead been of a- talking about weather, I like to talk about fatalistic weather. <laughs> oh, <laughs> when speaking I make small talk of. People, they're like, wow, it's nice weather today. And I'm like, yeah. in, in several uh, decades, New York will be underwater. <laughs> and then they just kind of look at me in the elevator and we move on. That's what we're into. Mm-hmm. No, actually, now that you mentioned it, I had the craziest dream the other night. I had a dream that I was coming back from work and I was stuck in traffic. And the sun... That doesn't sound unusual. Yeah, for well, no, it life. doesn't. But then the <laughs> sun began to explode. Huh. Like, I was in my car, jamming away, and then... All of a sudden, I look up, and I just hear this, like, deafening, just boom, this god-awful noise. And I look up, and then the sun is just flaring up and exploding. And then everyone's just sitting in their car like, huh. Was it, like, an expression of your rage? Did people, like, get out of their cars and start fucking? No, it was just like, oh. Everybody oh, just okay. kind of quietly waited? We just kind of, I think a few people in my dream like got out of their cars and stood up and looked. And then somehow I had a, a, a newsreel in my in my car that was like, this just in, sun getting ready to explode. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least they got the broadcast out. I don't think that would have happened. I think it, I think sun, it solar flares me. fuck with like radio signals. Well, I thought that too. I mean, it, not that that's the most unrealistic thing happening in that dream, but. It, it, it concerned me. I woke up. You ever, you know, when you wake up from your dreams and you have that like moment where you're trying to like convince yourself or bring yourself back to reality that mm-hmm. it wasn't real and that mm-hmm. you're okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was, a, that that's was always a tough, tough. One night I dreamt a dream that was just like different, like one to two second like snatches of people like just doing a mundane activity or like you dreamt sleeping. of snatches what no oh. uh it was just like little short clips of people just doing really mundane things and it was all different kinds of people and i didn't recognize very many of them and then i realized at the end of the dream as i watched the mushroom cloud forming that it was like people's last moments as we were annihilated (laughs) like the whole fucking globe and that was like my whole dream and i woke up and i was like huh how do i deal with that how do you deal with that oh my god um you drink no i'm kidding i don't (laughs) advocate that or do we we don't. We don't. Oh. <laughs> we, we don't. Find a good we don't. We don't advocate alcohol abuse to cover up your traumas. No. Um, and speaking of traumas. <laughs> if you're going to abuse alcohol, you got to just be doing that shit on your own. Like, yeah. You know, it's got to be your decision, not like a traumatic sort of coping mechanism. Listen, I don't care what you do. You need to choose just... it outright. You need to choose alcoholism outright. Listen, just don't drink and drive. I don't give a shit if you end up fucking drunk every night in your damn floor. Just don't drive. In your damn floor. In your damn floor. Just don't drive. 
Um, really quickly, we don't have any um, patrons this week <laughs> to um, to invoke, but I did want to say a very special message to Whitney Z. Yes. It is, is or will be her birthday on mm-hmm. Saturday, and she is one of our uh, Patreon supporters. She is our head witch in charge. And I just wanted to give her a special little birthday shout out on this episode. So happy birthday to you, Whitney. Thank you for everything. We love you and hope you have the spookiest, creepiest, bestest birthday ever. Seconded. (laughs) Seconded. Ditto is what she says. (laughs) Ditto. I do. I do. No, we love you, Whitney. So happy birth, girl. Happy birth. Happy birth. Have a cake. Have a drink. Have, have a time. Have a time. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like live, laugh, love. Oh, God. No, Ooh, do you see that picture that. that's going around of that girl who got that tattooed on her back in exactly the font of the She's wall? Either, that is either the worst decision ever or uh, the greatest decision ever. No, it's ever. the worst. Oh. It's the worst. It's really bad. It looks just like a window clang is just smacked onto her back. See, I would I wouldn't mind it if that was the intent. You know what I mean? It's really big though. Like it's her whole fucking back. When I say she got it tattooed on her back, I mean her, she has a full back piece. Huh. Of live laugh love. Yeah. It's a lot. Okay. Well, something hey. like live well, laughed off, often, love with the lights off. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not really sure. <laughs> I'm not really sure. Love with the lights off. It's never been my style. I like to um to die, to weep, and uh, hate. Listen, like last episode, we're into horror, filth, and glamour. So if you want to get that tattooed on you, I'm into it. No, that would be sick as fuck. Yeah, that would be really cool. The Dragula tattoos are cool. Yeah. So. Speaking I- of tattoos and bad decisions. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of the things that cause us we- to uh, <laughs> have such. Well, listen, we have two special guests here today. Oh, wait, no, they're not here. <laughs> <laughs> they're not here. Oh. Huh. Wow. We all know what's coming up. Do we? If you don't, maybe what check is out it? a calendar. What's coming up? Father's Day. Oh, it's June. Yeah. It's June. It's time to celebrate the daddies. The daddies. The daddies. Daddies and zaddies and addies. <laughs> <laughs> No, um, yeah, it's time to celebrate the daddy in your life, whether that's your biological daddy or a daddy that you were signed or a daddy that you chose out of a lineup of daddies. (laughs) It's the daddy issue, folks. It is. It is the daddy (laughs) issue. Yeah, so we're talking, we're talking, I think you're going to kick us off with some horror daddies, right? Yes. Which is the best kind of daddy. I mean, honestly, like I couldn't let a Father's Day go by without talking about some of our favorite daddies in horror. One of my personal favorites being uh, a one Mr. Captain Spaulding from uh, The Devil's Rejects and House of a Thousand Corpses. Uh, shout out to uh, Rob Zombie, who just released his trailer for Three from Hell today, which is the third installment in that franchise. Mm-hmm. Looks really good. I'm totally um, 
a Sid Haig fan. I am so excited for that. I love Captain Spaulding. Captain Spaulding is your father. He's your clown. He's the one that's going to shoot whoever the fuck is trying to fuck with you, and I can appreciate that. Fuck you. Fuck your mama. (laughs) I appreciate a a quick decision maker. Uh Uh-huh. And sells fried chicken on the side of the road. I mean, come on. Just See, perfect. I couldn't do that because I would eat all my, like, fucking stock. Like, you know? Uh-huh. Like, I wouldn't make any money. That is true. Another notable mention is a Mr. George Lutz from the Amityville Horror, 1979. We love us a good family man, although we would consider him a very bad, very bad man. Bad dad. <laughs> bad daddy. Bad daddy. Bad daddy, yes, as we all know. Um... Another one is uh, Daddy from The People Under the Stairs, 1991. Um, We've talked about that on the show before. mm -hmm. Not an actual father, (laughs) but... (laughs) The spirit of the father. (laughs) Not an actual father, but does get Mm. referred to as Daddy a lot. (laughs) I mean, a lot. I mean, I think there's a a fair amount of our listeners who could say that. Mm -hmm. So... That is very true. Myself among them. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Maybe I am. Maybe I'm not. Maybe. Um, Jack Torrance. I was going to say, this is my segment. What the fuck you doing jumping on my dick? I just wanted to make sure that The Shining is represented here because we all know that you be trying to shit on The Shining. I don't try to shit on The Shining. Who says I shit on The Shining? I don't shit on The Shining. I don't know. I feel only like you've I, said only it. shining I, I shit like on is my it. shiner, and that's. <laughs> I don't know where that went. That was a lot. That, that was, was a like lot. a that was a forty stand up routine. It it kind of just took a it took you away. <laughs> only shining well, I shit we... on is my shiner, shiner brand toilets. Get yours today. That's how we're gonna start incorporating uh, advertising. <laughs> going to be just woven into the awkward jokes yeah yes so (laughs) again yes jack torrance we um i mean who who doesn't who doesn't love jack you know to be honest with you i feel like i kind of just would have gone with it you know what do you mean go with it i mean when he just kind of snaps and starts coming unraveled i i just feel like I don't know. I always feel like I'm one I'm one sh- tiny shred away from just complete insanity. Mm. I was kind of always a little bit turned on by that all work and no play thing. Yeah, I mean, for fucking sure. Like, I mean, I need you to not ax me because I'm trying to live. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe he just needed some. I, I mean, I feel like he was pretty, he was pretty worked up. I feel like we could have calmed him down. Mm-hmm. Wendy. <laughs> Ask your cigarette, bitch. Yes. I still say that every time. Troublesome. Troublesome. That cigarette gives me such anxiety. But of course it was designed to do that, obviously, because Stanley Kubrick's a very smart man. It was designed to do that. It was. It was designed to put you on edge. Are we sure about that? Yes. I'm sure. Are we sure about that? Mm -hmm. Everything in that movie is like intricately thought out, which is what makes it very good, but also what makes it very laborious when you're trying to sit through it. Okay. You well. sound very convinced. <laughs> well, <laughs> and um, another daddy that I would like to mention is a one Mr. Freddy Krueger. Ooh. 
Yes. I had forgotten about. about that one. Yep. And uh, the sequels, uh, turns out he was a daddy. You know Who what? I always know he was a daddy. Who would have known? Smooth talker. <laughs> Smooth talker. <laughs> Oh, you definitely wouldn't want him fingering you, though. You wouldn't. Um, you wouldn't. I don't. Mm, Mm-mm. No. Mm-mm. No. No. I mean, because you're gonna shred your shit up. Like it's not gonna be good. Mm-mm. You're gonna I don't be think so. fucking. No, it's you're not right. Gonna be cute. You're right. Put on some gloves. It'll be fine. You're right. The length is is probably admirable, but you would need like some fucking Teflon coated gloves uh. to make sure that you're not. I mean, in your OBGYN's emergency clinic five minutes later, babe. Listen, who knows? He may tickle someone's fancy. He might. I don't know. (laughs) People into some weird shit nowadays. It's 2K19 way out here doing it. Don't even. I've seen things. (laughs) I've seen things that I'm not even I will mention on this podcast. Uh. On this podcast, I will not mention it. So that should tell you something. Maybe on another episode. People though. out here inserting whole Coke bottles into the asshole. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and... Um, <laughs> no, I'm not going to do it. No. Don't cut my mic out. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to say what it is that I was going to say. Not going to do it. Not appropriate. We might have children listening. We actually do. I know. Every that's now and the then I think end. about that one person who was... That one listener who was like, I let my... Uh, me and my... my underage son listened to you and i was like babe i don't know i don't know well i mean you're a parent i'm not make your choices but well even on our live uh later on you know that we had some listeners that commented that was like hey my son let me know that y'all were on the that y'all had mentioned that i was all there and i'm like i I went back to thinking and i'm like Mm -hmm. i'm like Flashback to Katie pulling out condoms. <laughs> well, you know like, what? You should know. Education, education. I'm just saying safe sex, people. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You don't want to be a daddy. Maybe that would be your issue right now yeah. in life. So go ahead I, and practice that safe sex. I have to say, I don't consider, I, I don't think I would have, I don't consider myself to have daddy issues per se. I mean, I have issues with my dad, but, (laughs) but all I have to say is my anger issues and fear of commitment and everything else comes from my mother. (laughs) Uh, I think, I don't know. My therapist and I might have two different answers to this question. (laughs) Wait, who's your therapist? The cat sitting beside you? No. Oh. No. She's just my part-time help. Okay. Um, no, it was really interesting. Um, recently, I, I so I finished one session. I, I've recently begun uh, professional therapy. And at the <laughs> end of my first appointment, I felt really great. And my therapist, she had a great tone. She was like, oh, this is, you know, this is great. We could even do every other week if you want. And I was like, nah, girl, we should... We should be on that every week flow because I'm going to need I'm going to need help. Um, and she was like, no, this is great. Like, you know, you're you're doing great. We could do every other week if you want or we can do every week if you want. Everything's fine. And then at the end of like my second session, she was like, let me make sure you have my email. 
<laughs> so that you can just email me in between. Did she pull a haunted need. heart? <laughs> was she like, she, you can email me? She was like, let me make sure you have my email. And I was like, did I? What did I say? Did I say too much? Was it, was it something? something? Was it? Did I do something? Did it something? Something yeah. I said? It's, uh, it's interesting. I think I'm doing great at ther- therapy. I think I'm winning. Um, she seems to laugh a lot, so that might not I think be that a good thing. Because <laughs> we, you know, we use laughter as a defense mechanism here. What? Huh? What? What? Moving on. All right. <laughs> oh gosh, yes. So that's kind of just a few. Um, I just wanted to shout out those few dads in horror. Just give them a little shout out. Great films. There are a few others that you could check out if you want to. There's also a really good, um, if you watch, I think it's on Netflix. It's called uh, Holidays. It's a great horror film, and it's sort of like an anthology horror where it goes through each holiday. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I've so, seen that. Yeah, they have, a, um, they have a Father's Day segment on there that's really, really interesting. And you should watch it, watch the whole film, but... Um, that's a great one uh, to watch because it's about a daughter who um, lost her, like she, her father went away and apparently she was sent these tapes that was from him and it was his voice directing her to go to a certain place. And so she's listening to these tapes while her father's voice is like um, telling her where to go. And in the meantime, like you have all of these flashbacks of them um, when she was younger and then you get to the, sp- the place and it's really like cryptic and weird and you kind of, um, it has a really weird ending to it, but Holidays is a good movie. You should check it out. Totally. Hmm. Totally. Hmm. I don't think I remember that vignette. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really good. It's a, it's a great, uh, you know, family friendly film to cuddle up on the couch with your dad and watch in honor of Father's Day. <laughs> seems like. Seems yeah. like that might be great. Yeah. We have dads that listen to this show that would probably do that. We have I cool to- we have cool totally. ass dads. Yeah. I we think have cool so. dads. I think so. So that's neat. Okay. Well, um you know I gotta do a case. Cause it's been a minute. Has it been a minute? And I'm itching for another Well baby, case. there's a cream for that. <laughs> It's a different doctor than the therapist, right? Um, <laughs> yes, it is, honey. Yes, it is. No, you know I got to do a case. Um, it's the daddy issues episode, so we have to talk about the time has come to discuss family annihilators. Oh, yeah. Yes. Family annihilators are, um, I used to hate them. But do I mean, you well, love, I definitely hate do them. Do you love them? Now I, I used see to hate their them, point. but now, <laughs> but now I understand. I've got but to now no. I understand. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I used to really no. I used to really, really be averse to family annihilator cases, to mm. stories, to the point that I I wouldn't really look into them. I wouldn't really research them. Um, cases like you know probably the most um, current, the most hip on trend, on Ugh. topic case right now uh of a family annihilator is chris watts right oh that piece of shit everybody has seen footage of this fucking bastard um and his you know he is the guy what state was that denver denver it was in denver well, that's colorado that's yeah. the state 
but it was in Denver. And he, I just uh, got that. Yeah. <laughs> it was in Denver. <laughs> um, so in Denver, he murdered his two little girls and his pregnant wife and dumped them into an oil container. Um, so that was really fucking horrible. But um, that's probably the one that is top of mind right now. But these well, these fuckers are incredibly... They're so deeply unsettling because they are often... I mean, one of the, one of the biggest things about family annihilators is that they're often like they have they they didn't have any hits on criminal justice, um, like on the criminal justice sector. They didn't have any issues with police. They didn't have any like mental health history. Mm. Nothing. It's like they were totally fucking normal and or seemingly normal, yeah. right? And they were just living their fucking lives for all intents well, and purposes. They were loving husbands and good fathers. And a lot of them have like high profile jobs and publicly they're seen as very, very successful when in actuality, you know, they possess within them the ability to just completely fucking break with reality and decimate their entire family. Well, and you never know really what's going on behind closed doors either. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. You can put up that facade of like happy family, but do you really know? Because that's what was going on with that Watts case because like everybody thought they were the perfect Perfect, you know, little family. Yeah. yeah. Um, Facebook perfect. And then, you know, you yeah. ha- they had their Well, issues. I think Shanann was a big part of that um, because she did the Plexus. Was it Plexus that she did? She was like a health coach kind of. I'm not for, sure. For like Plexus or Beachbody or something like that. I think it was, Ple- I think it was Plexus. And, um, you know, she would constantly post about their lives and, you know, everything, like you said, everybody thought everything was hunky-dory, but this fucking dude was like clearly a raging monster. The, this like most disturbing part of that was, um, well, obviously like what happened, but like after the fact when they released the body cam footage from mm. the police when they were like investigating like the day after mm-hmm. of um, like where Shannon was and all of this other stuff. And like so you could physically see Chris like as he started to like mentally deteriorate as like everyone around him started bringing down like started figuring out what the fuck was going on. Mm. Like you could see it in his body language, like in the things that he would um, do and say. And then it was just, it was very unnerving to watch that body cam footage. You can find it on YouTube, um, but it's, it's insane. Yeah. And, and so while he is the most recent family annihilator that probably, um, most folks who are involved in the in the true crime circle have at top of mind. He certainly is not alone. He comes from you know a long a long fucking history of family annihilators. Um, there's a couple different types. So self righteous family annihilators hold the mother responsible. They're usually men. Is the other thing, which is why I'm talking about them on this episode. Um, <laughs> important. Uh, They're usually men. Um, Self-righteous family annihilators hold the mother responsible for the breakdown of the family and will often call her um, before him to explain what he's about to do as he's, you know, harming the children. He'll kind of like, it's like a fucking sick-ass PowerPoint presentation, except it's the murder of an entire family. 
um, disappointed family annihilators believe that their family has let them down and that the killing could be sparked by uh, a killing of that kind could be sparked by something like children choosing not to follow uh, the family's religious customs or, you know, kids who are maybe hitting the teenage years, having some turbulence, a little bit of trouble, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe experimenting with drugs or maybe, you know, um, being a little bit rebellious and then the the father not knowing how to handle that. Um, We also have anomic killers that see the family as a symbol of their own economic success. But if something happens, like an economic hardship, such as the father losing his job or you know, the mom losing her job or something happening economically, um, the reason if the family functions as a sort of economic indicator and then they experience an economic hardship, then the family no longer serves that function as that economic indicator of success. Right. And so away they go. Um, And then we also have paranoid family annihilators who are motivated by a desire to protect their family from a perceived threat, um, such as having children taken away by social services. And there's a really good podcast on a paranoid family annihilator whose name is Josh Powell uh, called Cold. The podcast is just called Cold. It's an excellent podcast. It's a, um, a really... Really sad, but really interesting case uh, of Josh Powell, who um, whose wife, Susan Powell, is still missing. She mysteriously went missing, and their two children had been seized by social services. And on a social services visit, the kids, the social worker got to the house where Josh Powell was staying. The kids ran up to see their dad. Their dad opened the door. And when the social worker was going to walk in behind the children, he slammed the door in the social worker's face. She immediately gets on the phone with 911, talks to one of the most irritating dispatchers I've ever heard ever in any kind of 911 call ever. Um, And while she's on the phone with 911, Josh Powell's house explodes into flame. Oh, shit. Um, Yes. He murdered both boys and then blew the house up, basically, with himself inside. Um, So that would be an example of a family, of a paranoid family annihilator, because he viewed social services as a threat. If you want to look at it in that light, personally, I think he was a narcissist. And he saw the kids as an extension of himself and couldn't bear to have them taken away. Um, But... Uh, those are kind of the four different main branches. And of course there's offshoots and outliers as there always are. Um, but those are kind of the four major groupings of family annihilators. Mm -hmm. Which one are you? (laughs) It's like a BuzzFeed BuzzFeed quiz. I was going to say, take the BuzzFeed, take the BuzzFeed quiz. No, don't do that. What kind of family annihilator are you? No, don't do that. If you do that, uh, I'm pretty sure FBI, the FBI will... Probably not do anything. Have you seen that thing on Instagram? Speaking of the FBI, uh, taking a half a step out of this uh, very heavy topic. <laughs> um, have you seen that thing on Instagram where you can look up the um, like keywords that advertisers use to advertise to you under your security settings? No. Oh, my God. I did it. I did it actually for our podcast Instagram. <gasps> did you really? Would you like to hear? Uh, yeah, I would uh, love to hear. I didn't know this was a thing. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, hang on. Let me find it. Uh, I screenshot it for this purpose. Yes. Yeah, so it's under the security section. It's called ads interests. And uh, 
Our ad interests are uh, Brendan Burchard. What? I don't know what. The, what? Who? I don't know. I'm suddenly worried that it's like some sort of like very famous, like mass murderer that we fucking are forgetting about. Oh shit! Okay. Brendan Burchard. Burchard. Brendan Burchard. Oh, he's just an author. New York Times bestselling author and the world's uh, leading high-performance coach. <laughs> Maybe Instagram <laughs> trying to fucking send a message. <laughs> need some coaching. Need some life coaching. <laughs> Y'all need some coaching is what Instagram is saying. Uh, number two interest is Scorpio astrology. Wait, what? That doesn't even make any sense. Birthday. I'm a Leo. You're a Virgo. Birthday. What? Just birthday. <laughs> uh, goth subculture. At least yes! that one's on the head. Fuck yeah, man. Sonu Nagam. I don't know what that is. I'm sorry if it's something bad. I don't know what it uh, is. Okay. You've probably just summoned a demon. Email us at thehauntedheartpodcast.com <laughs> and let us know what, uh, no, what Sonu Nagam is. Email us at thehauntedheartpodcast at gmail.com. What did I say? Thehauntedheartpodcast.com. That's it. <laughs> yes <laughs> you know i said it uh magazines <laughs> magazines psychology okay tarot okay malayalam cinema and that's gerard a- way okay fuck yeah fuck yeah that's a good note to end on my oh my god is that just for businesses no it's everybody so you can see oh. it on your personal page too um <sighs> My personal page, uh, this is a rather expansive tangent. But Whatever. I'm fucking it is the it. best. I'm pretty sure. Do they give a fuck? Probably not. They're like, thank God. It's underneath settings, security, access data, and then uh, ad interests. So my personal interests are uh, Florida, <laughs> guitar, uh, XXL magazine. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so now we know where the magazine comes from on our page. <laughs> I don't know what context that is. XXL magazine. Uh, rhythm and blues music. Uh, <laughs> vertebrae. <laughs> just just vertebrae. Um, fish. <laughs> just fish. Just fish. Uh, no specific type. Quartz. Okay podcast okay and i don't know where this last one came from and i have a feeling that this is danielle from our murder mod squad coming for me but the last one listed is jason voorhees (laughs) that's i don't really know what that's about well i'm gonna give you mine mine is kickstarter (laughs) rupaul's drag race okay that's accurate um Odin. <laughs> Odin? Just Odin. the Norse god? <laughs> yes. Perfect. Good. They're um, going to advertise Odin to you. Superstition. Okay. Suspicious. Suspicious. Oil true. painting. <laughs> okay. Disneyland. That's random. That is. House, the TV series. <laughs> Have you even watched House? <laughs> Maybe like once, like <laughs> eight years ago. It. That's weird. Nev Cosmetics. Ain't heard of it. Never her. and never have. Um, action figure. They're appealing to my gay Only side, one. I see. Only one. 
and Cannes Film Festival. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's interesting. Um, so, yeah, let us know what your ad interests are. <laughs> yeah. That was an interesting break. I like how we kind of broke that up a little bit. That's fine. Broke that up a little bit. Well, um, now we're going to talk about a man who murdered his entire family. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> so and I hope you enjoyed that fashion. nice break. <laughs> we're talking about Robert William Fisher, people. Robert Fisher. William Fisher. And you know he's a bad motherfucker because he's got three names. This piece of shit. Bob right William Fisher. Bob. Bobby. I'm Bob Fisher. <laughs> I bet I'm that Bob would make Fisher. him so mad. Actually, his nickname was Bobby. Well, yeah, Damn. duh, because and- it's Robert. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Most people whose name is Robert go by Bob. Do they? Yeah. I feel like I would insist on not. They do. Most people say Robert. They go by Bob hmm. or Bobby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know about that. Yeah. So what did what did Mister what did Mister Fisher do? So Robert William Fisher uh, was born April thirteenth, nineteen sixty one. He uh, was born in Brooklyn, in New York, to his father, whose name was William Fisher. Ah. So Robert William, the son of William, uh, and William Fisher was a banker. Who was married to a nice lady named Jan Howell? I hope Side she was note, a nice lady. We don't really most know people named William go by Bill. Oh. <laughs> Wild Bill. <laughs> we had a substitute in high school, Kenny and I, who um, unironically called himself Wild Bill, and that's true. That is true. He was he was pretty he was pretty he funny. was pretty wild. <laughs> he was pretty funny, but I think he looked at 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 female students. Oh, yeah. Like, I think that happened, mm-hmm. for sure. Like, he was funny, and then, like, he would look at somebody's ass, and I was like, that's a child's ass. You can't. You're not allowed. You can't do that. No. No, 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 no. Uh, anyway, shout out to Wild Bill, if you're still with us. Don't look at children. So, Robert William Fisher was born into this family. He had two sisters, and he attended Sahuaro High School in Tucson. And his parents um, had a relatively contentious marriage. They divorced in 1976 when he was about 15. Uh, and a lot of people, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a child of divorce. Yes, yes, uh, we are. But my parents got divorced when I was seven. And I was always told, I'm not sure if this was like something real that like actually is a real thing or if they just told me this to make me fucking feel better because uh, I was fucking sad about my family being destroyed. But, well, not destroyed, but just changed. Changed. Just um, jilted forever and all eternity. They say it's harder for kids when you're older because there's like more of a story of your parents being together, I guess. Maybe you're not as pliable, like your memory isn't as pliable. But um, I'm imagining that since he was 15 when his parents got divorced, you know, that's a that's a long time to have your parents be together. And I imagine that it was very difficult to adjust to them being split up at that point. Is that right? why I'm so cold-hearted? Because my parents divorced like nine months after i was born (laughs) i mean honestly that might be there wasn't necessarily a big change that happened from married to divorced yeah like for your whole life it was just things the way that they were you know it wasn't like a big change shifted everything around um so it probably is a different 
experience. Probably a different kind. Things tend to grow and seethe in those You've situations. You've always been abandoned instead, like. of, instead of, like, <laughs> yeah. As opposed to just a sudden break in reality. Yeah. You plant a seed that just grows eternally. <laughs> Hopefully, uh, it is a banana seed because bananas are not doing so well. And we can only eat one variety. <laughs> but there's no such thing as organic bananas. Well, are plantains okay though? Plantains are fine. Okay, cool. Uh, but there's no such thing as organic bananas anymore. They don't they don't grow anymore. They're all GMO. Look it up. Right. It's fucking real. I'll still eat it. So anyway, this fuckers, uh, sorry, this Fisher's <laughs> parents divorced in 1976 when he was 15. According to friends and relatives, uh, Fisher took the divorce very hard. It was extremely difficult for him to adjust, and it had a long-lasting effect on him, who still, he still talked about the split uh, between his parents with his coworkers as an adult, like, that he worked with at the Mayo Clinic Hospital. So, clearly it was something that stayed with him his whole life. Um, he confided to one uh, worker at the Mayo Clinic Hospital that his life could have been different if his mother hadn't left the family. I'm going to tell you what. You know what he is? He's one of those damn psychic vampires. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> he's one of those motherfuckers that just fucking brings you down at work. And it's mm-hmm. like, hey, what's up, Bob? And he's like, oh, well. And you know when I'd you hear okay that fucking my... sigh. I mean. Hey, how are you? And you just hear and you know, well, you know what father, I do? Redirect. <laughs> Gotta go. Well, my father, you know, he's getting his new place now that he's... Bob, didn't your parents divorce 20 years ago? <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, but it still hurts. Nope, nope. Can't deal with it. I just gotta redirect. Me. I know it. I'll spot it a mile away. Stirring my coffee and like, <laughs> uh-huh, well, mm-hmm. good luck with that. Well, have a I good tend one. to just walk away, like... No shit. Whenever someone's talking to me at work and I just get fucking annoyed and they're a coworker, I literally just turn around and walk away. <laughs> That's amazing. I, I do that in the middle of conversations, too. Yeah, I know. She's done it in the middle of this fucking podcast before, too. <laughs> For fucking sure. Sometimes you got to just have a minute. <laughs> uh, so... Robert Fisher uh, made the decision as a young man to go into the Navy... He was a Navy veteran. Uh, he married Mary Cooper. We don't know that much about his time in the in the Navy. I kind of looked into it, but didn't seem like it was all that interesting. Um, but once out of the Navy, he married Mary Cooper in 1987. Um, he worked as a surgical catheter technician, a respiratory therapist, and a firefighter. And he was an avid outdoorsman, hunter, and fisherman. So he seemed to be a really active guy. He had some skilled, um, some, you know, skilled labor abilities. I don't know what my fucking word is that I'm trying to say. He had some technical trades. Um, He seems like he would be that well-rounded dad. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm a firefighter, and I can also, like, fix your shit and do things. And, like, also, yeah. I can fix your surgical catheters. I don't, I don't know that I need you to do that. I've met a lot of firefighters, not the most delicate folk. <laughs> um, but despite that, despite the outward appearance of, of being, you know, fairly successful, Fisher was described as 
a cruel and distant control freak of a father who was awkward with his children, uh, but tried to hold on to an image as a devoted family man. His mother-in-law, Jenny Cooper, actually told investigators that uh, after, you know, everything took place, she said that Fisher didn't really socialize often with the family because he was afraid of getting too close to people and losing them. So he did have that abandonment issue. Hmm. Um, only in his case, interestingly, it was because his mother had left him. He viewed it as his mother having left in the divorce. Ah. Um, so Fisher's mother told investigators, um, you know, when people started looking into this dude's life, um, she said that she had always been a yes sir type of wife. Meaning she never said no to her husband. She never stood up to him. She kind of just took it and took it and took it until she couldn't take it anymore. And she said, fucking bye. Um, Bye. Which props to her because sometimes you got to just say fucking bye. Um, She also said that she saw really similar dynamics in her son's marriage to his wife, Mary. That, you know, she kind of saw Mary as not really standing up to him that much and kind of going along with whatever he said. Um and not, not really putting up too much of a fuss. And she had kind of tried to talk with Mary about that because she was, you know, that she saw that pattern playing out in their marriage, and obviously that concerned her because um, she knew how her own had turned out. And another, interestingly, another friend, a uh, close friend of the Fisher family, said kind of the same thing, that, that Robert... William Fisher's marriage to Mary really closely resembled his father's marriage to his mother when they were married. Um, And clearly the similarities didn't necessarily end there. Um, It was well known that Fisher and his wife had marital troubles. Um, They had been active members of the Scottsdale Baptist Church. Always a church. Um, Fisher had been part of the men's ministry, uh, but he had kind of started to withdraw from the church's activities for the past couple couple months. Um, in 1998, uh, Mary and Robert went to the church's senior pastor for marital counseling, and uh, Fisher also confessed to his coworkers. And I don't know if he confessed this to the priest or not, or to the pastor. But um, he confessed to his co-workers that he had had a one-night affair with a prostitute that he (laughs) met in a massage parlor. Okay. Again, (laughs) me in the the break room. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Okay, Yep. I got to go, Bobby. Hey, Bob. Hey, Bob. Um... All right. So, hey, uh, I'm going to have to catch up with you later. I, I'm really hey, busy. Yeah, I just got to place all these catheters, you know. I <laughs> I got a, like a 5.30 catheter appointment I've got to go to right now. Um, someone needs needs a catheter. Um, so <laughs> it's, I gotta, it's me. It's I'm the one. I got to go. I, yeah, I've got to install my own catheter. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh interestingly, he was he was worried that his wife might find out that this one-night affair with this prostitute that he met in the massage parlor uh was the cause of a urinary tract infection that Sex had left him worker. sick for uh several days in December 2000. Sex worker. You can call her a prostitute. You can call her a sex worker, but she need to wash her puss because you can't be out here giving people urinary tract infections. We got husbands. 
<laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. JK. I'm just kidding. Let's make the world safer for sex workers. Please, thank you. So Fisher uh, eventually told a hunting mate that he, you know, he kind of, he was going through this, you know, really difficult time with his marriage and he's kind of bitching to all the coworkers. And if you've ever had a friend who was going through a divorce, you know what this is all about. Because <laughs> my God, people <laughs> will talk your fucking ear off. Yeah. That's true. Um, it is hard. And, you know, it changes hard. And I don't fucking I don't fucking blame them, man. It's really hard to go through change. Yeah. Why do you think we're here with you all right now? <laughs> change is hard. Uh, no. So we're here because we love you. And we would never divorce you. So after this, like, really contentious period where he's bitching about his wife and they are having all these problems and he's getting UTIs from sex workers that he meets in massage parlors, uh, all of a sudden he just kind of changes his tune. And he starts talking with his hunting buddies about renewing his commitment to his faith and his marriage because he, quote, could not live without his family. Um, See, now I know this fucker. Yeah. I know this fucker. Now I know him. <laughs> now you recognize him? Now I recognize him. Now I know him. Okay, continue. Yes, so he is talking about, you know, he can't live without his family. Um, and, of course, looking back, people have kind of speculated that maybe that was him talking about considering suicide over divorce. Um According to psychologists, an intense fear of loss, like the kind that Fisher appeared to be exhibiting, uh, is not unusual for an individual who was traumatized by divorce while an adolescent. Mm. In adolescence? In adolescence, yes. Yes, the one. Right. While being an adolescent. You shouldn't be in an adolescent. Never. (laughs) Never. Never be in an adolescent. Um, You can be in adolescence at some point in your life. But no, at no point in your life should be, you be in an adolescent. Okay, K- Katie. I just want to make it clear. Uh, Katie. <laughs> Please Is it continue. Clear? It's clear. <laughs> it's clear, trust me, like Windex. So while uh, Robert Fisher appears to have kind of made an abrupt 180 uh, on his marital issues uh, in the week's Before the incident, Mary Fisher started talking to her friends and telling them that she had finally made up her mind to divorce her husband. Uh Uh-huh. And there were more and more frequent fights. Sometimes the neighbors would hear some of those fights. And uh, on one particular uh, morning, uh, or sorry, I think it was an, yes, it it was an evening. So it was like 1030 at night. Uh, on April 9th, a neighbor of the Fisher family said that they heard a really loud argument between the couple, unusually loud. Um, and then 10 hours later, the house blew up in an explosion. What's with all this blowing up of houses? How do you blow up a house? So I've we'll tried. I can't it. get it to work. So on the morning of April 10th, 2001, Mary Fisher was shot in the back of the head. And her children's throats were slashed ear to ear in the hours before their home exploded. Um, The children's names were Brittany Fisher and Robert Bobby William Fisher Jr. Um, 
Firefighters were immediately alerted due to the fact that a fucking house exploded. I was going to say. Um, they were told that it may have been a natural gas explosion. Uh, and that, of course, resulted in a fire. The explosion ripped through the ranch-style house. Uh, it was in the 2000 block of North 74th Place in Scottsdale. Um, and it was it, the explosion took place at about 8.42 a.m., um, the blast appeared to be centered in the living room, and subsequently the fire burned the house into complete rubble. Uh, and they said that the initial explosion, so um, there's such a thing, I forget what case I was researching when I found out that this existed, because it sounded really fucking cool. Um, there's, it's not a fire marshal, but it's like a fire, oh fuck, what's it called? It's like a fire forensics type person okay. who... Oh, where they have to see, like, see how the fire started. Yes, and like um, their job is to go in and see, like, was this there fire was started intentionally? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they can—they're really, really smart. They can kind of—it's um, there's a there's a really detailed science to it. It's not necessarily just finding out, you know, was it an intentional fire or was it not. It's also kind of studying like the patterns of it. It's very cool. Um, when I first read about it, I was like, I'm going to do this. But then it was like, you have to like be a firefighter and do physical labor. And I was like, and she's like, I'm not going to do that. Fuck that. <laughs> I was like, I will not do that. I will support those who do, uh, support. She your sat down real quick. EMS <laughs> teams. Um, so of course they go in and they're looking at it and they, they basically figure out that, um, the fire was started by um, a gas line that had been pulled out of the back of the home's furnace. And the accumulating gas was later ignited by an ignition source, which was potentially the pilot light on the water heater. Um, there was another speculation that there was a candle that was lit that had been lit um, – and burned down. I don't. I don't fully understand it because, like I said, it's super smart stuff. But basically, there was a candle that was lit that would burn down to a certain point where it would ignite. Like the gas would leak out slowly, and then eventually it would ignite. Hmm. Um, and they had speculated that maybe like he lit that, like he killed everybody, and then he lit that candle, knowing that it would take a couple hours for the gas to leak out. Because again, you're dealing with somebody who was a firefighter, right? Right. 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 And you're dealing with somebody who you know, has technical knowledge. He's not an idiot. Um, so they had kind of speculated that maybe that was part of it too. Um, that maybe that could have been another way that the fire was, um, was started. Um, regardless, it was a huge fire. Uh, it was 20 feet high. Um, and the rural metropolitan fire department, um, firefighters were on the scene within minutes. Um, and they were able to keep the fire from spreading to neighboring houses. Cause again, when you have an issue like this in suburbia, you know, one of the very real possibilities is that the shit can spread. And then you have like multiple houses on fucking fire. Um, so the department did a good job of keeping, keeping it contained. Um, but the house did burn to rubble. Um, Later, um, burned bodies of a woman and two children were found lying in the remains of the house, and they were formally identified as Mary Fisher, age 38, and her two children, Brittany Fisher, age 12, and Robert Bobby William Fisher, Fisher uh, Jr., age 10. Uh, investigators considered 
that he was kind of the um, main suspect from the very beginning. And they kind of figured that he murdered his family because he felt really threatened with his wife's intent to divorce him. And better, rather than go through a divorce like he had seen, you know, his parents go through, he vowed that his marriage would never dissolve. No, it would just explode. Yep. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-huh. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Dumbass. Yeah. So... Um, On April 14th, Robert William Fisher, who disappeared completely at the time of the murders, was named an official and to date the only suspect in this case. Um, When the Arizona Department of Public Safety officers were instructed to issue a statewide bulletin to arrest him. So um, from Jump Street, these guys know this is their guy. Um, they didn't really even look at anybody else. It wasn't necessarily that there were people out there that they didn't pay attention to that they should have. It was pretty cut and dry. Um, this guy seemed like he had a mouth on him. So it was pretty clear the picture that was painted. Yeah, I mean, um, obviously. On April 20th, 2011, the last physical evidence of Fisher's whereabouts surfaced when police found his Toyota 4Runner and his dog, whose name was Blue, in Tonto National Forest, which was about 100 miles north of Scottsdale. So uh, when they found the forerunner and the dog, they did a complete search of like the vehicle and the surrounding area that the vehicle was in. But some people, um, caving experts, pointed to the fact that there's a pretty intricate cave system that's in that area that they didn't search very thoroughly. Um, So uh, that has been speculated that perhaps that's what happened because they didn't catch this guy. So he hasn't been caught. He's never been caught. Oh, shit. Yes. So, but they're saying that he could have went down into the caves? Yes, so the area that um, the vehicle was in... So who's he going to complain to in the caves? <laughs> Shut up. Yeah, the, the Tonto National Forest, um, apparently it's near the town of Young, Arizona. Um, the police searched for um, Fisher like around the area where the car was, but apparently they didn't search the caves sufficiently, and a couple different professional cavers came out and said that you know maybe he used the caves as a hiding place before he either escaped or killed himself or died from low oxygen levels in the caves. Cause it apparently it's really easy to get lost in there too. Um, so they really honestly don't know. And they've kept this guy. Um, he's the 475th fugitive to be placed on the t- FBI's 10 most wanted list, which I thought was just 10 people. Cause I'm an idiot. It's like, <laughs> Like, Like how could there be 475, though? Uh, It's fine. Well, okay. So, but did they ever ever question, like, why he left, like, the dog behind? Like, I'm just confused as to why. Um, They're they're not really. Why did he drop everything? Well, probably because he's not trying to go, uh, he's not trying to be responsible for killing his entire freaking family. 
Well, I mean, I know that, but what I'm saying is, is that like it just seems random. Like I'm gonna go and just drop the car and the dog off. Not necessarily somewhere. though, because you need to shed. Like if something like that happens, you need to shed your identity. Like you got to get out of Dodge. We got to get rid of this fucking car. We got to get I mean, rid of this fucking dog. We got to get rid of every single. We got to gain fifty pounds. Like somebody call Domino's. We have to make a severe life. Change. Call Domino's. Can you deliver to this fucking cave, please? See, unfortunately, <laughs> that's gonna that would work in our eventually when we need to shed our lives and leave our family and loved ones behind that's going to bite us in the ass because we're not going to be able to gain 50 pounds to not look like ourselves we're going to have to lose 50 pounds no we'll get caught because they'll just uh the fbi will just uh keep a tab on our domino's order we're gonna have to join a fucking orange theory and never order the haunted heart special again oh god no it's not gonna be good i really hope no i'm gonna tell you what i hope that motherfucker Went down into the caves, thought he was going to hide for a minute, got himself lost. Yeah. And fucking um, got himself lost down in the fucking caves and fucking like the descent style. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, fucking, and all of a sudden the descent just starts and he's uh-huh. like consumed by demons. He's fucking consumed by Horrible cave, cave dwelling demons. fucking yeah. nocturnal uh, creatures mm-hmm. slowly and painfully. Mm-hmm. We should put that on the list of possibilities that maybe happen. That one, that one. I feel like that's what happened. That's what happened. I'm hoping. That's what happened, y'all. That's what happened. Closed book. Case is closed. I will contact the FBI immediately. <laughs> so Fisher was also listed on America's Most Wanted uh, on their Dirty Dozen list oh. as, some of, as some of the show's most notorious fugitives. And he was also profiled on The Hunt with John Walsh. The FBI is still offering a reward of up to $100,000 for any information that leads to his capture. Uh, and as of April 2003, the FBI said they had received hundreds and hundreds of leads. But unfortunately, none of the reported sightings of Fisher have ever been um, considered conclusive. I'm going to tell you what. The Dirty Dozen list sounds like something uh, a cam girl would have it on does. a show. Unfortunately, it's just pieces of shit. <laughs> it's, it's not exciting cam girl tricks. Welcome to Cammy's Dirty Dozen. <laughs> yeah, so that um, they've kept, you know, the FBI has kept up with the case. Um, actually, in April 2016, uh, FBI officials in combination with Scottsdale Police actually uh, released new age-enhanced photos of Fisher during a news conference on the 15th anniversary of the murder. So they are still at it. They're still soliciting information. They're still offering an, a reward. Um, and who knows? Maybe maybe one day they'll find him. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe and that, he's at another Mayo Clinic. That <laughs> is the story of Robert William Fisher. Wow. That was interesting because typically... Typically when doing cases, there's, you know, they either, like, find the guy or, you know, they find the guy (laughs) or he's dead or something. So I really wasn't expecting it to be, like, an an open-ended case. Well, I don't don't like to do the open-ended ones just because, like, closure's fun for everybody. Um, And it, it... it's easier to tell the story of a case when there's closure and you can be like, and then they got the motherfucker. Fuck him. But like, it doesn't always work that way in real life. And there's, in reality, there's tons of cases that are left open-ended and there's tons of situations where the perpetrator got off. And there's even cases where, you know, we, 
I say I say we like I'm a member of the police department <laughs> or an investigator. Where we catch them we fuckers. Know. No, but there are, there are lots of cases where, you know, if you talk to investigators, if you talk to detectives, they know who their purpose and they just can't get enough evidence to prove it. So they can't risk making an arrest and, you know, letting the guy off. So, you know, they have to wait and bide their time. And, and that is very much excruciating, but it is is part of true crime. There's a ton of cases where it's just left eh, like this one. Yeah. So generally I like to give people closure, but you know what? You don't always get what you Not want. Not today. <laughs> Not today, folks. We don't have closure on this daddy issues episode. Huh. <laughs> Thematic. Anyway, <laughs> um, I kind of wanted to lead, uh, lead, to leave. lead. I kind of wanted to lead us down the path <laughs> of darkness. No, I wanted to leave us with a fun little creepy pasta, just to sort of, um, you know, ease from the ease us up from the you know the heavy hitting story that Katie has provided. It's a palate cleanser. It is a it's palate a, It's cleanser. a dessert pasta. So it's got a I'm sorbet gonna type sauce. I'm gonna need for you to control yourself on this one, though, Katie. Okay. 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 I'm, I'm excited. Need for you to control yourself. This creepypasta is called Father's Day. <laughs> okay. Howard I understand Simpkin. why you've chosen it. God damn it. See, here we go. <laughs> Howard Simpkin was a quiet man, a nice man, everybody said so, who could have foreseen the future. Howard grew up in the small town of Dakenby, the son of average parents of average wealth. In fact, everything about Howard's life was decidedly average. Even his job, an accountant. He was a stand-up comedian's wet dream. As a young man, Howard found it difficult mixing with others of his age and therefore became a bit of a loner. His life, like his balance sheets, calculated to boredom. (laughs) Definitely into the minus column. That was until July of the summer of 1975, when he met Brenda, and the balance of his life moved firmly into the plus column. You know, that's what um, that's what people always say when they meet their great love. I think so. I would, it's the, plus <laughs> the balance column. has moved to the plus column. He fell in love with her immediately. However... Howard held no hope of Brenda feeling the same way about him. How could she? Brenda, to look at, was nothing special. Damn. (laughs) And they say love is blind. (laughs) Most people wouldn't have given her a second glance. But to Howard, she was the air that he breathed, the sun that warmed him. One day, summoning all the courage he possessed, he asked Brenda out, and to his amazement, she agreed. Howard spent the rest of the day walking on air to think that a beautiful woman like Brenda had agreed to go out with a nobody like him. His parents were kind people, took... mm, His parents... I'm going to correct this for the writer. His parents were... Who were the kind of people took an instant dislike to Brenda right from the start, which Howard couldn't understand as he was blinded by love and couldn't see no wrong in her. (laughs) <laughs> he couldn't see no wrong in her. I could. He couldn't see no wrong in her. Couldn't see no wrong in her. 
Howard was not a wealthy man. Remember, he's average, folks. He's average. It sounds like everybody in this damn story is average. (laughs) But had saved most of his money up till now as his lifestyle had been meager. This changed. In the coming months, he started spending with vigor. His savings diminished with every additional gift he bought for Brenda. The smile on her face is worth all that I own, he would tell others. However, Howard was aware of the gossip mongers, the troublemakers who had nothing to do but spread their vicious rumors. They would say that Brenda was only with him for what she could get, that she was nothing but a gold digger. Shortly after, his father died. Howard asked Brenda to marry him, but she said it was too soon, that she wasn't ready. Months after his father's death, his mother passed away, too. As if her need to... to, She died, (laughs) too. As if her need to be reunited with her husband outweighed her need for life. Howard was left everything. The house, the car, and a sizable chunk of money from life insurance policies. These gains, these gains, did nothing to ease his loss. He felt like his life was rapidly being drawn downwards back to the minus column. I feel like whoever wrote this doesn't know anything about accounting. I feel like, like they just looked at an Excel spreadsheet thing. and was like, oh, this is accounting. <sighs> Having nothing to lose except for rejection, he plucked up the courage to ask Brenda to be his wife. This time, to his overwhelming joy, she accepted. Oh! So we're going to accept now that we've done got that insurance money. All right. Don't judge, Brenda. She averaged. She's Suspicious. Trying to get by. That's all I'm saying. Suspicious. It seemed everyone knew what was going on except poor old Howard. The gravy train had pulled up and good old Brenda was determined to grab a first class seat up front. For Howard, the wedding was one of the happiest days of his life. And Brenda? Well, Brenda turned up. For the first year of their marriage, everything seemed to be good. Howard still worshipped her and showered her with gifts. Then it happened. Brenda became pregnant. Howard was thrilled to Brit to Brits? To Brits. To bits. Brenda was not. Talk of abortion from Brenda's lips, but for the first time in their relationship, Howard put his foot down. And eight months later, at 2.32 a.m., an eight-pound, seven-ounce baby girl was born. Emma Louise Simpkin, Howard's pride and joy. To Howard, Emma was a blessing. To Brenda, she was a rival. A rival for Howard's affections and, more importantly, his gifts. Things between Howard and Brenda went steadily downhill from from the birth of their daughter. Brenda showed little to no interest in Emma and spent more and more time going out for various reasons. She had disclosed to Howard before they married that both her parents were dead and that she had no family to speak of. Yet, all of a sudden, she had sick relatives all over the country that she just had to visit. Howard had also noticed Brenda was turning more heads lately, in part due to the fine clothes and expensive makeovers he had paid for from that insurance money. Is this just the story of, like people's lives like is this just somebody's life story i'm not really getting the creepypasta element it's just kind of hold on sad hold on slowly he began to take over the role of mother as well as that of provider and due to his very understanding boss he was able to do more and more of his own work from home in order to spend as much time as he could with his daughter 
Over time, as Howard's love for his daughter grew, so did his hatred for Brenda. He wasn't stupid. He knew what she got up to on her little trips. He smelt the aftershave on her clothes. He noticed the smug look on her heavily made-up face, the fucking whore! <laughs> if it wasn't for Emma, his life would have been unbearable. Every year on Father's Day, Howard would stand Emma against the kitchen door and measure her height, making up a poem as he did and singing it to her. Emma always laughed and hugged her father, while her mother would stand and sneer, sneering bitch, assuming, of course, that she was around that particular day. It was on one of these occasions that things changed. Emma was nine, and Howard had just measured her. Quiet Emma, so good, so sweet, four foot two from head to feet, he sang. Emma, as usual, hugged her father and laughed. Brenda, on the other hand, appeared in the doorway, two suitcases by her side, the familiar sneer upon her face. She told him he was pathetic and that she was leaving him. She told him a few home truths, truths that anybody in the town could have told him years ago. Brenda's leaving made no difference to Howard as he had spent the best part of the last seven years hating the sight of her anyway. And from that day forward, she was referred to only as Burnin' Hell Brenda. <laughs> I appreciate the alliteration. <laughs> For years after her departure, everything was great. Emma was doing really well at school and had um, became Howard's life. He worshipped her and showered her with love and gifts as he had once done with Burnin' Hell Brenda. Then things gradually started to change when Emma hit her teens. She became unruly and disobedient. She began to run around with what he had decided were a bad crowd. He could not believe it was his Emma's fault, not even when he had visits from the police about her shoplifting. He decided it must be something he was doing wrong. He could never think ill of his precious Emma. She would scream obscenities at him and show him the finger, but he still thought it was his doing. Years before, she was grateful for the gifts he gave her. Now she expected things, throwing temper tantrums until she got what she wanted. As time passed, things just became steadily worse and worse, and Howard yearned for the days when his daughter would hug him and laugh with him like she did every Father's Day. Time passed, and he began to realize he could no longer blame others, not even himself, for Emma's behavior. It was obvious that Emma was becoming more like her mother. Burn in hell, Brenda! A clone of the woman he'd grown to despise, and one bitch was enough. Howard could not suffer another, certainly not his precious daughter, Emma. So here he was. Another year had passed around, and again it was Father's Day. Howard checked the temperature of the water in the bowl, and draping the flannel over the edge, picked it up. Making his way upstairs, he shouldered open the door to Emma's room, walked over to the chair next to the bed, and sat down. After wetting and wringing out the flannel, Howard began to gently bathe the stumps just below the knees where Emma's legs had once been, the legs that ran around with a bad crowd. He then began to bathe the stumps just below the elbows where the arms and hands had been, the hands that had given him the finger. As he bathed her, he looked into Emma's eyes to see if there was any gratitude there. Her eyes had become a lot more expressive since the removal of her tongue. <sighs> I bet. The tongue that had screamed profanities at him. All Howard saw were the cold eyes of burning hell, Brenda. 
staring back at him sneerfully. Draping the flannel over the bowl, Howard stood up and, reaching into his pocket, withdrew a tape measure. Bending over Emma's dismembered torso, he began to measure her, smiled, straightened up, and began to sing. Daddy's little sugar lump, four foot two from head to stump. At this point, Howard was sure he saw laughter in Emma's eyes. The hug was missing, but he thought, you can't have everything. The end. Pretty good. Yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah. It was, yeah. A, lo- it was a long lead-in to a uh, to a stump torso. To a stump torso. You know what? Oh. I think so. But listen, it says you can't have everything. So you can't have it short and sweet always. <laughs> it's kind of ironic. Mm-hmm. So that's it for our episode, folks. That's it. That's Father's Day. That is Father's Day. That's Father's Another Day. Look, if you have gone. a father in your life who you care about, I don't want you to be paranoid on Father's Day. I don't want you to worry that it's going to turn you into a uh, stump-based person. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really know. Um, no. Say, if you, have a, if you have a dad in your life who you care about, who, who does right by you, who doesn't blow your house up, who doesn't turn you into a stump... Um, Say thanks, man. Dads are cool. Whether it's your biological dad, your non-biological dad, or your daddy. <laughs> yeah. Just be appreciative of them this Father's Day. And tell them we said Happy Father's Day. Yeah. How tell, about? Yeah. You do that. How about? And if you want to stay up to date with us on the socials, we just had a Rainbow Rave uh, Queer AF Facebook Live on our Facebook group. If you search the Haunted Heart podcast, you can find our page there. If you like it, you can see our Big Gay Live. Um, You can also join our Facebook group at the Haunted Heart podcast. If you search Haunted Heart podcast, the page will come up. The group will come up. You can request to join. We will approve you unless you are a stump-creating psychopath from a creepypasta. Uh, Then we have a different review process for you. Uh, Instagram, we are at the Haunted Heart Podcast. Twitter, we are at the Haunted Heart. And you can find us anytime at thehauntedheart.com. If you have any stories that you would like for us to cover, you can email them to us at the Haunted Heart Podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our Patreon where we have all kinds of bonus content and a platform for you to support the show if you like what we're doing and you want to help us do more of it. And yeah. that's patreon.com slash the haunted heart. The haunted heart. And I think that's all the bullshits. I believe so. I think it's time for you to take us out, Zaddy. Ooh, all right. All right, mama. Okay. You guys know what you gotta do. You gotta thank the daddies in your life. And, and until next time, you gotta stay, stay spooky. spooky.